0: Is another full episode of one of our favorite podcasts, Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio, hosted by David Rothkop, produces new episodes two to three times per week and brings together top experts, policymakers, and journalists from the national security, foreign policy, and political communities. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you become a member of the DSR Network, you'll receive benefits such as ad-free listening via private feed, discounts to virtual events, and deep state radio swag, and access to the member-only Slack community. This is one of the most closely followed podcasts among the people influencing the most important decisions in Washington and worldwide today. You can learn more by visiting thedsrnetwork.com. Listeners to Words Matter will receive 25% off the regular membership price. Use code Words Matter at checkout.
1: Hello and welcome to our podcast. It is recording time, Thursday afternoon in snowy uh, New York City. At least that's where I am. Also in snowy New York City, as every Thursday afternoon we have. Uh, Ryan Goodman of NYU Law School and Just Security. How are you doing, Ryan?
2: Uh, doing well, David. Thanks.
1: That's, that's good. And uh, I think in the Washington, D.C. metro area, we've got Olivia Troy of the Republican Accountability Project, late of um, uh, the, the, the vice president's staff. You've seen her a lot on MSNBC. How are you doing, Olivia?
3: Doing okay. Hanging in there in snowy Washington, but we have power and it's not nearly as cold and as freezing as it is in Texas where my other family and relatives are. So I'm
1: grateful for that. How are they doing?
3: It's been rough. Um, Yeah. Unfortunately, we had um, some family members that also were suffering from COVID and they had to come combine households because it was, they didn't have any power. So we were doing a whole conference call on covid protocols and how to isolate different parts of the house and we'll just see how they get through this yeah it's just a a really tough time down there for everyone
1: i think you're going to have to open up some state chapters of the republican accountability project (laughs) because gop GOP leadership in texas has not covered themselves with glory
3: yeah i you know i hope that margarita was worth it yeah (laughs)
1: ted (laughs) cruz's ted cruz's you know, one hour trip to Cancun. Um, uh, And by the way, he really showed a lot of class by when he defended himself. He then said, well, you know, I wanted to take my daughters down there and be a good dad. And it was like, oh yeah, blame your daughters. Nice. (laughs) nice touch. Real classy. You know, he
3: comes from the school of Donald Trump.
1: So
3: nothing surprises me anymore.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. He, He wouldn't defend his wife. He threw his daughters under the bus. Well, um that's not what we're here to talk about although it is sort of indirectly. Um what I I thought we 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 could talk about is something that's been on my mind. I wrote a piece in the Daily Beast about it um that peeped out from behind the paywall today so people may have seen it. <laughs> and and that is something that since it happened I've been thinking I'd really like to get Olivia's perspective on this. Also yours Ryan, but start with Olivia's perspective and that is um there was this thing happening in the Republican party. It started to happen a while ago. It happened, you know, there were the first rumblings of it with, I don't know, miles and his article. And then there was, you know, people Tillerson would say something or Mattis would say something. And you started to say, well, there are these Republican voices that are going to challenge Trump. They are going to be guided by conscience, and we can have a debate. And I'm happy to have that debate a little bit later about, you know, when when everybody's alarm should have gone off, you know, and they should have started to do this. But, 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 you know, the the, the point is that people started to do it, and then, um, you know, in the wake of, and and and, you know, by the way, Mitt Romney in the first impeachment cycle, you know, to, stood up, and then we got into this. January 6th situation. And it appeared that there, the, 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 the loyalists would be sh- shaken. You know, here was something that was so outrageous that it had never happened in American history. There was an insurrection. Not only was there an insurrection, it was led by the president of the United States. And if you doubt it, it was led by the president of the United States. They were all carrying Trump flags and wearing Trump hats. That's, now, some Republicans seem to have missed that, right? But, but they were. They were like self-identified. I'm here because of Donald Trump. And you thought there was going to be this thing happening. And in the House, you know, um, 10 Republicans, you know, agreed that this was an impeachable offense. And you thought, well, something. A dam is cracking. McConnell said something. Um, in, the, in the Senate, then seven, only seven voted to convict. And almost instead of this sort of s- suggesting to people that the Republican Party was going to perhaps split, you know, perhaps develop some new leaders, perhaps enter a post-Trumpian period, in rapid succession, Cassidy, Sasse, Toomey, Burr were all censured. They were censured by their state GOPs the few people that stood up to donald trump in fact in one of the cases um the censure um was that they were disloyal to trump and and i think in, in i think in burr's case i just saw one the censure of orange county north carolina today forbids him from ever entering orange county north carolina republican headquarters ever again which is undoubtedly going to shatter his life but but the point is, there, there, there was a moment where there was some leadership and there was some character, there were some people who saw it with clarity. And that does not seem to be the direction that the the party wants to go. And 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 I was just wondering, as you saw this, since you're part of a group that's like, we're the Republican Accountability Project, we're the people who stood up, we need to see some change. How did you feel? Is it as this sort of massive Sorry to go on about this, but sort of this massive, um, like, immune system, this Trumpian immune system started, you know, circling in on anybody who showed any character and trying to kill it.
3: Yeah, it was um, disheartening, David. I mean, it was, it was also just really fundamentally, like, just so devastating to watch. Uh, the behavior of these uh, Republican elected officials and the honestly the cowardice that they exhibited, I would say, in taking a stand for what was right for the country, especially uh, after such a dark moment, right? It's not just, for me, I think about this and I think it's not just, you know, it was January 6th, everything that led up to it, uh, all of the behavior and all of the lies um, but really what they did by acquitting him and not taking a stand and you know, those that sort of went along and enabled this, um, the enabling and the emboldening of these types of movements that subscribe to Trump, that support him, right? That to me on another level too is so bothersome because for me, I think, you know, I'm looking forward um, towards the future and i think about the legacy of the fact that he wasn't held accountable for what happened that his supporters who showed up that day some of them are you know will be serving time in jail and they're being prosecuted for it but yet here you have a former president of the united states who straight out did this he played a direct role in it encouraged it put his own vice president's life at risk and the leadership of the entire country and congress at risk, and he gets away with it. And I think that is just what that says, uh, you know, down in history and looking forward. I, I I think it just really specifically puts the GOP in a really dark, negative place, right? I mean, they chose to turn a blind eye to it. Um, I would say, out of self-interest, out of their own political motivations. Um, while the few and far between Republicans who stuck to their principles, did the vote of conscience and did the right thing for the country overall, putting country over Trump, took a stand at great consequence and as we watch it kind of play out. And, it's you know, I'm not going to lie. It was it was hard to watch that. I was angry. Um, you know, I've said I, I felt like I was grieving. I had this dark cloud over my head, especially after Saturday for several days, thinking about what this would mean moving forward and it was just so disappointing to think that these are elected officials who their constituents and residents voted into office. And I kept thinking like, is this what these people in these districts and states, um, is that really who represents them? Is that who they really want representing them? Like, what does that mean for the future? And I think that actually is what kind of keeps me motivated on the accountability project is really just looking forward and saying, we're gonna be there to remind the voters so that we don't forget what happened, so that we don't forget the behavior of these individuals on that day and the things that led up to this and in the aftermath.
1: So Ryan, I'd love your reaction to all of this, but picking up on the point that Olivia was touching upon, which is moving forward, Um, before we came on the podcast, we were talking about what, what may follow in the wake of this. Uh, Olivia made reference to the fact that people are going to be prosecuted. Um, There's going to be an effort, presumably, to hold people like Trump accountable. Um, You see this underway in Fulton County in Georgia. You may see it underway in the District of Columbia. You may see it underway from the Department of Justice elsewhere. But all of that is going to require at some point level some kind of cooperation from some of the people within the republican party here i i do think of like mike pence and some of these people do they testify if there's a commission do they testify do they resist the commission do you get penalized in the republican party for cooperating with this commission what do you th- what do you think it all means for all of that ryan
2: So I I think it does have to mean something for all of that in the sense that uh, a large part of this will be about loyalty to Trump. And then he's obviously not going to, I think he's going to treat the commission at some point, just like he treated the Mueller investigation so that no matter what people of great stature and nonpartisan credentials make up, let's say the 10 members of the commission, he'll call them the 10 angry Democrats. Um, And then it will be a loyalty test uh, in different ways in which people interact with the commission or tr- legitimate, keep it uh, respected as legitimate and things like that. I think that's a very serious concern. And I've seen this, you know, in other parts of my work on international criminal law, where the you know head person is finally caught, they try to delegitimize the forum um, saying that the forum itself has no legitimacy, but uh, it certainly looks to me as though the, uh, January 6th commission is gonna have subpoena power and subpoena power that's backed up by very quick enforcement. In fact, the very same identical language that was used for the 9-11 commission appears in a draft uh, January 6 commission with 28 uh, GOP co-sponsors, the exact same subpoena provisions the exact same enforcement uh, that was entered in, uh, in, introduced into legislation into the house uh, in January. So I think that's going to have some real teeth. And then it's also going to be backed up by a justice department that will in fact enforce subpoenas against recalcitrant witnesses. So I think there's some inevitability here and a lot of pressure and the law actually making more of a difference. I think it's all a different factors in the equation. Um, but I think that there's uh, going to be, it's going to be quite formidable. And then I suppose there's this other dynamic, which I'd, you know, be curious to then throw it back to Olivia to talk about as well, that i think what we also saw with the impeachment vote is that Mitch McConnell is trying to free the Republican Party of Trump. And, you know, the way I read it is that uh, he actually, based on the votes, has more support than one might otherwise imagine. There were a number of um, other Republican senators who heavily criticized Trump and said that they were voting just on the basis of jurisdiction. Um, Senator Thune, is one example of that. Senator Porter is another example of that. Then there are uh, several Republican senators. You mean Portman? Portman, sorry. um, Several Republican senators who voted purely on jurisdiction and made no comment either way on the merits. So they, which might also be something of an opening. And it's 11% of the entire Senate um, of those Republicans who actually said something very supportive of Trump on their vote. And then it's Lindsey Graham, you know, tweeted this idea out in a certain sense, Lindsey Graham is the one who becomes the spokesperson for the, like the acquittal vote where he's in the 11, he's, he's in the small 11%. Um, so that also for me was something hopeful for the Republican party in the sense that that is not reflective of where some of the base is. that is not reflective of this um, retributive local GOP, organizational politics around censoring people. And there's maybe more um, running room uh, for Mitch McConnell in terms of how we can, when you started to get into the details of how people ended up um, aligning themselves and what exactly they said when they voted.
1: Well, when we do the analysis of this, Olivia, you know, a lot of us will look at it through a DC lens or a cable TV news lens, right? And you look at Mitch McConnell and you think Mitch McConnell is a sneaky mastermind of the Senate. He's been around forever. He's 78 years old. He knows everybody. He knows how it works. He's canny. And if he's up against Trump, he's going to be a formidable foe. But when you look at the support that the, the, these opponents of, of Trump, ha- uh, these opponents of, of, of taking a stand against Trump have, the pro-Trump crowd, it really is these county chairmen it is these state GOP leaders. And for them, Mitch McConnell it may be a D.C. insider, a fossil, remote from their lives, part of the problem, not part of the solution. Trump did not hesitate to excoriate McConnell in a, in a, in, in a statement after all of this. And so the question, is: I mean, do you think... That this idea that Mitch McConnell has of engineering an alternative um, can be successful if led from D.C., or even as you guys are approaching it, do you see that there's got to be a different kind of a grassroots movement, and does that have any possibility of, of taking root?
3: Yeah, I think it's twofold. I agree with Ryan that there was certainly a push there to uh, by McConnell to really sort of take a stand and try to move away from, uh, you know, the Republican Party of Trump as it stands right now. And so I think while we live in the bubble, I think that, um, yeah, I think that people are really upset about what's happened. They know that there's a lot of moderate Republicans out there who are furious and upset and don't want any part of of what this Republican party right now has become. And I think that you're seeing that as, you know, as registrations in other states and everything, you see the drops in registrations for Republicans or leaving the party, are they going independent or they're becoming Democrats or registering as Democrats uh, because this is something that, that is not in line with their philosophy and they feel like the Republican party, I mean, it's been said, right? They say the GOP is dead. Um, so I think yes, on that end, um, but I do think, uh, I personally believe that it will be more of a grassroots effort. And I think it needs to be more at the local level, maybe especially in primaries, encouraging more principled uh, people, individuals with uh, Republican values or center right values who are more moderate to run against the more extreme factions against these more mega sort of individuals against the conspiracy, uh, perpetuating uh, philosophizing individuals like the Marjorie Taylor Greens. Uh, But I think I think that's going to take time because I think that local parties and state parties, some of them with some of the information. And honestly, I think it's also a misinformation war right now that we're having, um, which Trump has uh, really been able to, I would say, utilize to his benefit in terms of his base. Right. And the messages that he pulls out and they follow him. And so he's got a strong base there because right now he's got the loudest microphone in the room when it comes to this type of information where these people are solely tuned in to these networks that are pushing just one angle that are basically showing only a one side of it, right? And so I think that is going. it is going to take a more localized effort of supporting other principal candidates and taking the stand um, in primaries when these people run and also backing the principled ones that are currently in office that are gonna to face tough primaries that we're already seeing, right? where Trump himself has said, I'll see you in the primary. He's already said that very publicly. And Donald Trump Jr. has certainly said that and he's called them rhinos and he limps everyone all together in it. Um, and I think people listen to that. And so I think for the voters, I think it's really on them for the more moderate uh, center-right voters to really, uh, they're, they're have to get involved and it's going to be a grassroots effort and say, no, I'm not okay, I don't stand for this and try to really take a stand against the types of candidates that run. You know, I would say I'd encourage um, people out there to run in a more grassroots level. Uh, you know, I, to be honest, I, I would say that Democrats are much better at that right now <laughs> than the Republican party is, right? They find principal candidates, they run them, they back them. I think Republicans need to do that uh, during the primaries um, encounter those movements, but I don't think this will happen uh, certainly overnight. Um, and I think Republicans are going to learn, continue to learn this lesson the very hard way, right? They lost a house, they lost the Senate. If they continue down this road, they're going to continue to lose national elections. They're not going to win with some of the more extreme candidates. Uh, you know, People are paying attention, um, but I think at the local level and in these districts and what's happening there, I think that's going to definitely be um the thing
1: to watch yeah i have to say in 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 the democratic party you and elizabeth and miles and all those other folks in your group you know all you'd all be running for congress in in 2022 you know somebody would have called you and said pick a district Mm -hmm. and you know be and be there and you know use your national platform and and the reality is there's a place of vulnerability there um, because, you know, the, the, the GOP, the, the Trumpian vote killing machine, for racist reasons, has zeroed in on inner cities and trying to suppress the black vote and so forth. But the place they were losing the vote is in the suburbs. And they're vulnerable there. You know, it's, the, you know, the educated Republican voters... Are, are are undoubtedly going to be uncomfortable with this. So I, I, I like having you on the podcast and seeing you on TV. Um, but, you know, I'm, so I'm not saying, you know, quit this and go run for office, but, you know, maybe, maybe. Yeah, right.
3: And I think, you know, uh, Donald Trump, uh, during his reelection uh, presidential campaign, um, they really paid attention to the fact that they were sort of losing the suburbs. And look, that's where you saw the law and order narrative kind of surface. I watched that firsthand um, happen where they they sort of amplified the chaos and they turned it um, to their, they tried to turn it to their favor, right? And they became the party of law and order and the campaign of backing the blue and they were sort of pitting law enforcement um, you know, and backing them. And so they got a lot of report, but a lot of support in those circles. And that's exactly kind of What they did, they were trying to instill fear in these suburban communities is how they were playing it. Um, But I think in the end, after January 6th and everything that's happened, I think they left a lot of people kind of facing a reality check of what's really going on here when they're watching the TV and it's MAGA hats and Trump supporters storming the Capitol and Mike Pence, a longtime traditional Republican who has been part of the establishment for so long uh, and there's calls for his hanging. Right, I mean, so I think. I, I don't think know yeah.
1: the face. The face of the Trump party is Marjorie Taylor Greene, and QAnon shaman, and a mob beating a cop to death on the steps of the Capitol. It's not law and order. They can't go there now. Ryan, having said that, in one of the weirdest trial twists I've ever seen in my life. Um, Trump's lawyers, who, by the way, you know, you're a lawyer. It'd be interesting to get your your, opinion on this. Were the worst lawyers I've ever seen (laughs) in a a public trial, you know, and I was literally going to go, this guy sounds like a Philly personal injury lawyer. And then I clicked on Google and I was like, oh, he is a Philly personal injury lawyer. Um, You know, but, but, but his lawyer said, you know, you should, you should, um, you know, we have a justice system. This isn't the place to do it. You guys should go and prosecute Donald Trump. And I was like, is he, is he really saying his defense is, no, prosecute him, you know, have the DOJ go after him. And then, you know, Mitch McConnell said, this is not the right forum, prosecute Donald Trump. And so, you know, I mean, there, 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 there was this kind of bizarre desire to do that. Is that going to happen? Do you, do, you, do you actually think the justice system is going to reach out and touch Donald Trump? Or is it perhaps going to be this, this commission that Nancy Pelosi wants is, is going to set up with subpoena power that's going to be the thing that ultimately gets him on this?
2: I think the justice system is breathing down the back of Donald Trump. And I think Mitch McConnell's statement on the floor of the Senate, which I thought was a historic speech, Um, bolsters the political legitimacy of that. So that the ability to say that these um, prosecutors going after Donald Trump are acting illegitimately or in a witch hunt is significantly undermined by the green light in a certain sense that Mitch McConnell gave to it, Um, rightfully so. So I think if I were Trump's decent lawyers, I would be well, most are, are,
1: they, are there any decent lawyers? Does he have any good lawyers left?
2: Um, he. I think he probably has some. Well, it depends. Uh, he, he has some good lawyers left in his inner circle who are not TV lawyers, and they're not the ones who have to go forward and present publicly um, lies or things like that, and, and put themselves in uh, their own kind of ethical jeopardy by. Trotting out the big live, they were, you know, his initial group of lawyers, apparently, that's why they quit on him for the impeachment trial. But um, at least two cases that I think he's in deep trouble. I think he's in deep trouble in Georgia. The Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, who did her first television appearance on The Matto Show and then has given other media interviews, she seems like a fierce prosecutor who's going to follow the law and she will not waver under either political pressure or other forms of pressure in terms of. Uh, threats to death threats and things like that. She's, she's coming for him. And she has a very strong case. And there are a number of other people that are potentially implicated in that case of trying to um, uh, solicit uh, election fraud in Georgia, H- including Lindsey Graham. Including Lindsey Graham, well, there's, uh, yeah, including Lindsey Graham and the Washington Post reports that she is in fact investigating, that is part of the investigation And is Lindsey Graham's call to the Secretary of State in Georgia, including Giuliani, because Georgia law also makes it a crime to make false statements to um, the uh, legislature and other election officials, which he apparently did. And that means that Trump is even further exposed because she can go after them and then flip them. So I I just think he's in trouble in Georgia. As in, in terms of a criminal prosecution. And then I guess the other one I, where I think he's next in greatest jeopardy is uh, the New York District Attorney's Office with respect to financial crimes. Um, but it, you know, <laughs> Mitch McConnell, for example, did not um, qualify uh, the terms of what he thought that Trump should be pursued for, any of the activities that he has been engaged in. Um, and I think it looks like they're hot on his trail with a very robust uh, criminal investigation, and which would be pretty easily proven in court through documents. So if if they have the goods on him, they have the goods on him for tax fraud and the like. And then there are a number of others. Um, And uh, so the other ones would be the D.C. uh, Attorney General said that he's criminally investigating Trump for incitement to riot. And a bipartisan majority of both houses of Congress just said that as far as they were concerned, he engaged in incitement to insurrection. So in terms of the political support that would be behind a legal um, pursuit of those questions i think he's in a lot of trouble. i mean that just you know that doesn't be gar- that gen- that only scratches the surface
1: of oh and also we don't even know the facts right i mean as as i'm picking up on what you're saying but you know we don't know who funded this we don't know how it was organized we don't know the role that the white house or the people in the demimont around donald trump played in setting this thing up whether it's giuliani or donald trump jr or 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 ginny thomas right i mean you know we, we we don't know you know who what 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 the facts are behind the campaign that took two months that led to january 6th that touted january 6th on december 19th you know that the touted it weeks before as the day and the date and the place and and, and, and so forth, which, which I, I just have a follow-up question there and then I'll come back to you, Olivia. But the follow-up question has to do with this commission. Because even if a commission, I mean, a, a question with the commission is, can it refer things criminally? But it can also, Nancy Pelosi has said, subpoena people. Subpoenaing tr- Trump would be a big deal. Subpoenaing Pence would be a big deal. Um, in, in terms of these other prosecutions, uh, and in terms, in, in Trump's case, almost inevitably in terms of perjury. What it, what it, how significant do you think a commission could be in all of that? I think it could be
2: highly significant in that they will be able with through the subpoena to get witness testimony, and then indeed people will be in jeopardy of um, making false state, either, either not honoring the subpoena, and then they'll be in legal jeopardy um, in criminal contempt um, or contempt, and uh, they'll also potentially be in jeopardy of perjury. And I think you know they're going to ask him questions about what he did on January sixth, um, in response to the um, ongoing assault in the Capitol. And either he's going to <clears throat> admit to what I would actually say is under federal criminal statute aiding and giving aid and comfort to an insurrection or he's going to lie. (laughs) So, so, or he could maybe plead the fifth and let's see how that one goes. Um, So I do think there are, um, there's some serious strength to a commission just by the fact that it has subpoena power. But I just want to say one other point as well, which is, I think that the commission should also have explicit authority to make criminal referrals. Um, And, you know, the way that these the legislation is structured is that, it, yes, it issues a final report, but it also has interim reports. And why can't it, as a creature of Congress, have the same thing that members of Congress and committees and chairs have, which is to make an official formal referral to the Justice Department? Um, I think they could probably do that anyway, but it would, be, it would give the 10 commission members, if it's 10 of them, greater comfort in knowing that this is a part of their authority. And then they also hold that over the heads of everybody
1: who's coming before them. So this brings back to a question, and you know, I, I feel bad for you some of the time, Olivia, because I watch you on TV, and you're really good, you're very thoughtful, and and then people go, so what's Mike Pence really thinking right now? They think that you live inside his brain and that you can see exactly what he's doing at all times, but and and I'm not going to quite go there, but but Mike Pence is, you know, is likely going to go and get subpoenaed in places like this, and 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 the question is. Does he go? Does he speak? Is he honest? Because Mike Pence kind of has the ability to blow up Donald Trump by nodding his head, you know? But, you know, he's 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 really in this, because, you know, I mean, if if he said, oh, no, I called the president, he knew we were in jeopardy, or I feel the president put me in jeopardy, or, you know, and if somebody said, why didn't you speak to him for five days after this? You know, it. it you know, he could say, well, I was very busy <laughs> or he could tell the truth. You know, what, what, what do you think is going to happen?
3: You know, I would love to hear uh, from Mike Pence directly. I'd love to hear from Mike Pence's chief of staff, Mark Short. I'd love to know what he was doing uh, while they were in the Capitol because he's normally with him and he clearly lived it. I think what was also telling is um, that statement from Mike Pence, where to me, I think that was striking, where he releases the statement and he says, you know, it's my constitutional duty. I have no other choice than to carry out this responsibility and carry out my oath to the Constitution. And he releases his public statement while Trump is at the rally going on and on about him. Right. And then he gets in the motorcade. And I remember checking the timeline of this and then he heads to the Capitol and that statement comes out right before he heads out in the motorcade to head to the Capitol. It's almost like when as everything plays out, I look back on it and I think, wow, that was like almost like a public acknowledgement plea from Mike Pence saying, just so you know, I'm about to go do this. And I know what's coming because there's no way that you don't know that something that you're going to incur the wrath of Donald Trump when you do this simply. For just actually doing your job, uh, right? Because he was not going to accept the fact that you were not willing to lie um, and try to overthrow uh, the the election results uh, and pander to him. And I just, you know, I I since so public, I I I always hoped and believed that Mike Pence would do the right thing that day, and he did. Um, but the fact that he issues that statement and then heads over there and then lives this, right? I mean, there's a noose or whatever that thing was outside of the Capitol where they're setting it up and it's Trump supporters setting it up and the calls and you can hear them saying, hang Mike Pence and you see that video footage and you see his family. And I can't imagine what must've been going through his head with his daughter there and watching her get escorted out and watching Karen Pence, his wife, Mrs. Pence being escorted out. And I'm thinking to myself like, why wouldn't you go public? I mean, why not just finally? Um, release yourself, I would say, from the chains that bound you for the past four years because you were such a loyal soldier in this situation. And he still turns on you. And I don't know how you're Mike Pence and don't, I mean, you know that eventually it's not a matter of if he's going to turn on you. It's a matter of when you watched him do it to everyone else around you. You watched him do it to repeatedly and people at the White House or people in the cabinet that spoke out against them. And so I think, I think he should come forward. I think he should, I think I would hope that he would be honest and tell the truth. There's certainly many witnesses and people that lived at that day. So that I think I do believe that the truth will continue to come out. And I think the more information that we learn about what really came out that came, went down that day, like I think we're gonna, i think we're gonna find out that there were a lot more enablers across the Trump administration who were part of this. I really believe that as the investigation moves forward. And what does he have to lose? Especially, look, if you take the political calculus into it, right, and he's got his eyes set on running for president in 2024 still, I don't know whether that's the case or not. Certainly haven't discussed it with them, Uh, but I know that that was something that he aspired to do and I know his chiefs of staffs were discussing it. Why would you not take the opportunity to completely separate yourself um, from this and come forward in front of Trump's base and do it? But on the other hand, he's been completely silent, right? He was silent during the trial. He did not say anything publicly. His chief of staff wouldn't come forward either when he was contacted, didn't say anything. And to me, that's just Mike Pence being Mike Pence, trying to navigate it and walk the line, trying to say, you know, at the end of the day, I hate to be that cynical about it. But truthfully, I see Mike Pence saying, hey, look, he can say to Trump supporters, look, I never actually came forward. I never said, convict him. I just, I didn't get involved. I, and then and then also play the card of like, look, my life was in danger. My family was in danger. I was almost attacked. Like all of these things, he can kind of spin the narrative to his favor right now. So I think that he's probably played that hand fairly well thus far, but do I think that he should come forward? Should he be subpoenaed and tell the truth? Absolutely. Do I think he will? I do think that he would tell the truth. I mean, he, I don't know. I don't know what he gains by lying, and I think that Mike Pence knows better. Um, he knows well enough that in this type of White House, the truth eventually surfaces. Right. It, it's not. A, it, it happens. It's there.
1: So, Ryan, a last question for me, and and it'll turn into a last one from for Olivia. We've only got literally just a couple of minutes here, but. Well, you know, the the case against Donald Trump in all of this, and I, I look forward to not talking about cases against Donald Trump or Donald Trump at some point again soon, but, but the case against Donald Trump, as it was made by the Congress, was a case against one man. He incited. Um, the case being made by the Department of Justice is a case against hundreds of rioters. Um, we have gotten an intimation that at least in the case of some proud boys or some oath keepers there may be some criminal conspiracy here there you know there may be some charges associated with that but clearly you don't end up with 15,000 people marching up the mall on the specific date that the congress is considering this vote when many of them had to have their tickets paid for to get there when permits had to be gotten when stages had to be built um, when groups like the proud boys and the oath keepers and others had plans and so forth without there being a conspiracy and the core case is the one that we're not talking about which is the conspiracy and you know it seems to me listening to um uh, olivia that You know, one of the, the things that puts Mike Pence and others at peril is that as soon as you build the conspiracy, why was the head of the Proud Boys at the White House two weeks before this? Oh, I was on the White House tour. Well, that's just complete bullshit. Who did he talk to? I mean, nobody, nobody believes that. So who did he talk to? Did he talk to Mark Meadows? What did Mark Meadows know? You know, what did Mark Short know? What did you know uh, Roger Stone, who was hanging out with one of these groups. know what did what took place the day before at the Trump Hotel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The later Mike Pence waits, the later other waits until the case is being made that there was a big conspiracy around this. The more at risk they are of being tainted at being in the middle of that kind of a thing. What do you what do you think of that? And then what do you think, Olivia? And then we'll wrap it up in a minute or two.
2: So I guess I think a couple thoughts about it, Um, I do think that there's a greater conspiracy and more people involved and that'll come out. And and I also think that that's one of the biggest differences to me between what the commission will accomplish for the public record and public education as well versus what the impeachment trial did, because the impeachment trial had to focus as a prosecutors on Donald Trump. And there's just a bigger, broader story out there. and part of the bigger, broader story is also simply absent Donald Trump, white supremacist militia groups, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and what the hell is going on in that space and the ways in which they did come to January 6th organized to storm the Capitol. Um, and you know, one of the best video footages of that ever that a number of people have missed is the Wall Street Journal um, had incredible video Report on the Proud Boys and the level of organization. So I, I think there's that. But uh, so back to the question of in Im- implicating a number of people. I, I I suppose that is also a reason for them to wait on the sidelines, to be honest, and see how things go uh, before they decide how to cast their um, fate in all of this. Uh, and I also think um, just to give another example of something else. Just a, it's another. It's a little bit more of an improbabilistic wild card, but maybe Donald Trump will be taken out of the political arena by the 14th amendment in the next couple weeks or so. Is there enough support within the Congress, which already by a bipartisan majorities in both houses voted for the article of impeachment, which says in it that he's, his actions constituted insurrection under the 14th amendment. It says it in the article of impeachment, just go back to Congress and re uh, reaffirm that And then he is potentially disqualified from ever running again for office. So maybe it's another thing for Mike Pence. Wait, maybe he's taken out by other measures, not by Mike Pence's hand. And if something like that happens, then they didn't have to worry about it as much. And also wait for the New York state authorities. If the New York state authorities um, get Donald Trump on all of these financial crimes, potential financial crimes, then Mike Pence never had to act to remove him from competition in the Republican primary for 2024, and the like. So I think there's there's a lot of dynamics going on as to why these people maybe make the calculation
1: to decide later and not decide now. Last 60 seconds, I'm just going to give to you, Olivia, you could react to that.
3: No, I think Ryan's absolutely right. I mean, why step forward and potentially create a harder situation for yourself when kind of staying, laying low and staying behind the scenes like Mike Pence has all along right now, when he clearly, I would say, has the upper hand over Trump right now, right? <laughs> He's, he wasn't responsible for directly inciting the insurrection, and his life was put at risk. He can sort of wait it out and see what else develops, see what other information surfaces, see how much information is actually out there um, that comes to fruition. I, you know, I think I think there'll be more. Like I said, um, so I think the waiting game is probably the safest approach. And you know, he. Currently, Mike Pence doesn't have Donald Trump tweeting about him or why well, he can't tweet. But you know what I mean? Like he's not attacking him through public statements. He's not. He's currently Trump is focused on Mitch McConnell and others. right? And people are the Republican Party is focused on censuring folks that that did take a stand. And so nobody's really going after Mike Pence, I would say, in the Republican side of the House or in the Trump base right now, um, other than, you know, Going after him and trying to kill him that day, and, and all of those activities, which I would say is significant enough for me. But um, in my pensive calculation, uh, doesn't seem to really be bothered to need to take a stand for him and his family. I think he's sort of just, you know, taking a pause and just watching it unfold.
1: Well, it's a good point. You know, the past few days, um, I've been re watching. Uh, another story of um, an impulse-driven, out-of-control, narcissistic um, leader who wreaked mayhem all around him. Who also was uh, libidinous and repulsive. And that is, I've been watching Wolf Hall uh, over again on Masterpiece Theatre about Henry VIII and Thomas Cromwell. And Henry VIII was, you know, pretty awful, and every a lot of people ended up with losing their heads. But a lot of the game was sort of standing back and not getting, not getting too close, close, close to the crossfire, letting letting people kill each other off, you know, letting other people's intrigues take care of your enemy. Um, and uh, uh, that's you know the the Trumpian analogies are not the reason to watch Wolf Hall, which is great in its own right. If I was on TV about six years ago, but um, it it does seem like some things don't change court politics
2: Hmm.
1: seem very similar over 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 history anyway um it's always great to have you here with us olivia we hope you will join us again soon it's always good to see you ryan each and every um thursday and hopefully everybody will come back again and uh join us and as i've mentioned in the past few shows each and every week we've got now a, a different show every day Um, And that includes our regular Monday Deep State Radio and this Thursday show. And usually we have a one-on-one show that's with a prominent person or a uh, a, a author of a book. And then on Wednesdays, uh, we're trying to do what we're calling Ask the Blob. Ask the Blob uh, takes, you know, the the Obama administration once referred to the national security community in D.C. as the blob. Uh, And so we're taking some of our friends from that community and allowing our members to ask questions to them. You have to be a member to, to, to watch that, listen to it, get it. And it's great. And I, just, you know, maybe we'll have you back, Olivia, and you can go and take some of these questions from the members. Um, I love that. Uh, yeah, no, no, it'd be great. And our members are, are, are smart and provocative, um, but you got to be a member to get that. And we, we also have some other new products We're we're launching a, a weekly sort of uh, what we call deep thoughts product, which is sort of thoughts on on the news of the week, which will be a, a, an audio product that'll come out on Sundays. And then of course, we've got this weird thing that we're doing with my sister, um, which is called The Secret Life of Cookies, um, which is a show on which my sister, who's a New York Times uh, for many years, a New York Times a food uh, critic um, and food writer, um, bakes with people like Mary Trump. and. Eugene Carroll, and uh, I think tomorrow she's doing show with uh, TV writer, uh, Nell Scovell. Um, and um, uh, both of you guys should join on that. I, Ryan, I'm sure you have some cooking uh, techniques you'd like to share with my sister or Olivia, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's just, and, and they talk about the world. I mean, Joyce White Vance was on there and they talked about justice reform and Joyce White Vance's chickens and baking all at once um
3: as, i
1: want to make cookies uh, do you <laughs> well, well I'll, co- I'll connect i'll connect you to my sister i
3: want cookies now Thanks yeah no no cookies.
1: she's she's good go to go, go to marissa she is a, she is the world's cookie <laughs> genius um but in any event uh so we've got all of that and it just pays more than ever to be a member so go to the dsrnetwork.com sign up be a member get these free these shows and other things that other people don't get and cookies we'll figure out a way to get you cookies Olivia will get them just because she was on, but we'll figure out a way to get y'all cookies.
3: Hey, look, my nickname when I was young was Cookie Monster. Believe it or not, that's what my dad named me. Apparently, that's how I ate my food as well. So that's what I get for watching too much mm-hmm. Sesame Street. There you have it.
1: Uh, we, well, we want to test that. That's an excellent <laughs> nickname. My my nickname as a kid was Eeyore. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, my father named me that. So
3: the more yeah. you know
1: the more yeah the more there i actually have i i would show you but i'm not gonna but i actually have an er over my desk here which i which i keep but keep handy um anyway we'll find out what ryan's nickname was next week uh in the meantime thanks everybody for joining and uh, take care of yourself be safe out there bye-bye
0: we hope you enjoyed this episode of deep state radio Deep State Radio, hosted by David Rothkopf, produces new episodes two to three times per week and brings together top expert policymakers and journalists from the national security, foreign policy, and political communities. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you become a member of the DSR network, you'll receive benefits such as ad-free listening via private feed. Discounts to virtual events and deep state radio swag and access to the member only Slack community. This is one of the most closely followed podcasts among the people influencing the most important decisions in Washington and worldwide today. You can learn more by visiting the dsrnetwork.com Listeners to words matter will receive 25% off the regular membership price Use code WORDSMATTER at checkout.